Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, February 21st. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Notorious Rob broke some news this last Friday, and Housing Wire has confirmed through three anonymous sources that the National Association of Realtors has run out of liability insurance funds. So NAR has two types of insurance it offers to associations, subsidiaries, affiliates, and association-owned MLSs at no additional cost. And these policies include professional liability insurance and patent infringement insurance. Now, the liability insurance, which is offered through insurance provider Chubb, is designed to cover antitrust claims, but the policy limit is $1 million per policy. And additionally, the policy has an aggregate limit of $10 million. Now, for an additional cost, state and local realtor associations, as well as association-owned MLSs, can purchase excess insurance coverage. But sources confirmed to Housing Wire all of NAR's insurance funds, including the funds in its excess coverage pool, are gone. So when you hear that, Chase, what's going through your mind? Well, I mean, it sounds scary, Bruce, but I mean, in relation to the, the overall challenge that we're facing here from all of these lawsuits and copycat lawsuits that continue on and on and on, I'm not sure that it makes it any worse than it already is. And, and here's what I mean by that, right? Like there's this idea like, oh my gosh, we're not covered. But there's another way of looking at it, which is the amount that these attorneys collectively are seeking to collect there's really no amount of coverage that is going to, you know, cover that in the first place, if you will. Some of these large companies, including Keller Williams now, have started to settle some of these large lawsuits. Now, NAR hasn't. NAR might be, might be one of the exceptions that has the resources to kind of fight something like this. But I would argue that there's very few others that insurance or not would have the wherewithal and the resources to go and fight something like this, just based on how quickly the cost would rack up to defend yourself. Right. So that's kind of my thought. It's like, gosh, it sounds really bad, but is it really any worse than it was? I'm not sure. Yeah. I think there could be an interesting second order effect here. And that is Many large MLSs and realtor associations have their own liability insurance independent of NAR. While this doesn't really impact them, it's not catastrophic for them, the smaller associations that don't have independent coverage, they would be nervous. And I think the the second order effect here is we could see massive consolidation in our industry, right? Because these smaller associations that cannot afford to self-fund their own insurance coverage they're going to have to look for a way to to actually provide that coverage for themselves and their members. So uh, mergers may be a big thing on the horizon. That's a great point, Bruce. It very well could happen. I'm not very familiar with the financials of a typical MLS. Majority of their revenue, from my understanding, is going to come from dues paid by the members. But again, similar to what we've talked about before with real estate brokerages, again, I'm assuming here, but there's not a lot of assets that an association actually owns. 
if it owns the MLS, then that would be an asset, right, to some degree. But beyond that, you know, it's not as if there's a whole bunch of assets on the balance sheet that, you know, these attorneys can go after in the first place. But you're right. If you end up in a position where, you know, there's some sort of judgment eventually or you feel the need to settle and you don't have the resources to do that, then consolidation absolutely could be an option for those smaller MLSs. Well, and as you said, right, I mean, bankruptcy becomes the way out. You know, these associations, uh, these organizations, even these brokerages may have to go there or alternatively, these businesses are not asset rich. It's going to be interesting. This, this is going to play out for a long time because we know that these lawsuits are not going to go away tomorrow. But, you know, having insurance coverage is important. We'll keep our eye on this one to see and waiting to get confirmation directly from NAR as to whether or not this is the case. Yep. But, uh, yeah, interesting times. Well, Chase, Open Door just had its Q4 2023 earnings call. And uh, Kerry Wheeler, the CEO, said that uh, they're looking to rescale their business in 2024. In fact, the iBuyer reported a net loss of $275 million in 2023. By the way, that was substantially lower than its loss in 2022 of $1.4 billion with a B. What are your thoughts here? Well, losing less money, I guess, is better than losing more money. And, you know, all joking aside, Bruce, there's nothing funny about losing this amount of money. And I'm certain that the folks that are providing the capital for this venture are not happy about it either. And it is kind of the dirty secret of business on occasion, given some of the environment that you face and the headwinds that you face. In essence, they lost money because they shrunk their business. And you know, they had to shrink their business in order to survive. We don't often talk about that part of business because it's not nearly as sexy, but it's not always up and to the right. You know, you don't always make record profits year after year after year. And this is certainly the case for Open Door and in the iBuyer space specifically. So they've shrunk down. They're trying to weather the storm and they have every intention based on this, you know, report of kind of starting to scale back up and purchase more homes and resell those on the open market. Matter of fact, at the end of 2023, they had only 5,326 homes on its balance sheet, which compared to the end of 2022, when they had 12,788 homes, so less than half of the inventory that they're carrying and certainly a lot less volume as well, right? That goes along with that. You've got 1.8 billion in inventory that that represents versus 4.5 billion. So they shrunk down the business in order to withstand the storm. I will give them some credit here, Bruce. They actually did turn a profit as recently as the second quarter of last year. There's these moments of hope, right? That this actually could be a profitable business despite the storm that they've been operating in. But, you know, one quarter does not an annual year make. And there you go, right? $275 million loss for total 2023. So still a lot of obstacles to overcome for this company. Well, I think it's pretty fascinating, right? As you said, the way they cut their expenses was they scaled their business down. So in 2023, they actually bought just 11,246 homes. Now, that's compared to 34,962 homes in 2022. What they didn't share in their report, but I just did a little math. So I took their loss of $275 million 
divided by 11,246 homes, which they bought, and they lost an average of $14,699 per home. So I guess, you know, you're losing money on the homes that you're buying, so I guess we should just do more of it. (laughs) (laughs) What a great business model, Bruce. Hey, you know, if you're ready to get your checkbook out, you can probably invest in this incredible model, right? Yeah, that's a tough hill to climb. Well, and the other thing that they did, right, was they used this this last year to cut expenses. Wheeler said that last year we reduced our marketing spend by over 60% versus the prior year as elevated spreads made our marketing spend less efficient. Now, despite these reductions, we've maintained our agent awareness, which is a testament to the effectiveness and efficiency of our creative advertising efforts. They're talking about actually scaling that back up again. I'm not sure I see their path to profitability. Well, frankly, Bruce, and maybe it's there and it's just not in this particular article, but there's nothing from the executives or otherwise that answers the question you just asked, which is, what are you actually going to do differently? Because there's a difference between scaling up a loser and making it a winner. <laughs> and $14,000 average last scaled up just sounds like losing more money, to your point. So I don't see one word in here about something we're going to actually do differently to our system, our model, our margins, or anything to create a pathway to profitability, to your point. And I'm not certain that they know what that is, Bruce. So you know, I don't think they're withholding it. I don't know that they know what it is. It's an interesting model, and and again, one born in great times, yet not yet proven in a shifted market. And you know what's fascinating to me about this market that we're in, we're not seeing prices drop. They're not going down, right? We're still seeing appreciation because of the lack of inventory, even with the headwinds of higher interest rates. So you know, if you're not able to buy a house at a price where you can sell it for a profit, what market is that going to work in? I don't know. Uh, Here we go again. For those uh, keeping score at home, we are now up to 23. A second home seller in Nevada has filed a lawsuit alleging that real estate industry players in the state have colluded to artificially inflate real estate agent commissions. The copycat commission lawsuit was filed on Friday in U.S. District Court in Las Vegas by Nevada home seller Angela Boykin. So, Chase, I mean, I know it gets hard to keep bringing this up, but I mean, this is this is the news right now in our industry. So in addition to NAR, the suit also names 21 different brokerages and associations in the state of Nevada. What thoughts do you have about this? We kind of ultimately have two of our stories today, you know, in part dealing with these lawsuits and insurance that may or may not cover them. And now you said we're up to 23. I think the point that we probably want to illustrate today in part is just that this is not coming to an end anytime soon. There's a lot of questions still to be answered around how this shakes out and frankly, how it impacts the industry long-term, You know, whether that's agents being paid differently or the average amount of commission changing that exists in the marketplace today, consolidation that may exist, just like you shared before, because some can't withstand the storm potentially. And there's still plenty of folks out there, Bruce, that really are are pessimistic about this actually changing much in the way that things are done, right? I think there's those that argue that those people have their heads in the sand. I don't know that that's necessarily true. 
But sometimes we have such a buildup of news and headlines, and it doesn't always impact the fundamentals of how we do things as much as maybe we're fearful that it will. And sometimes it does. So here we are kind of in that space of, is this some dramatic disruption to the way we do business? Or is it just a, a dramatic disruption to the news cycle? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I had a better answer. If you have one, I'd be happy to hear it. I'm sure the listeners would. But, you know, I, I, 23 won't be the last one if I was to put money on it. And there's probably really a long way to go before all of this shakes out. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview Steve Chater, founder of Keller Williams Integrity First in Gilbert, Arizona. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.